Happy Easter. And welcome to church today, whether you're joining us online, whether you're here with us in the building, whether you're part of the party over at MP1. We are just so glad to have you with us on this Resurrection Sunday, the day where we celebrate that Jesus has risen. You know, Woody Allen, the famous American director and writer and actor, he is famously fearful of death. He's written about it and talked about it a number of times. And he was once asked the question, aren't you pleased to know that you'll live on in the hearts and the minds of those you've impacted through your work? To which Woody Allen replied, I don't want to live on in hearts and minds. I want to live on in my apartment. Now, whether he's joking or not, he's right. This is what we all want resurrection. And the good news is that this is exactly what Jesus offers to us. This is the great claim of the Christian faith, that Jesus was raised from the grave and that the world was never the same. This is the claim that we read in this passage from Luke's gospel that we just read a moment ago. The angel announced to the women in verses 5 to 6, why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Now, I wonder what you think about this claim. Maybe you, like me, are utterly convinced that it's true, that the tomb really was empty, that Jesus really was risen, and this is why the world really has been changed. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian thinker and writer and and theologian, he once said, there is one good reason to be a Christian. There's one reason and one reason alone to be a Christian. Because it's true. Now, if that's where you land, then I would say you have good reason to believe this. Peter, who we've talked about in the last couple of weeks and who we'll meet again in just a moment, he wrote this in one of his letters that we have in the New Testament. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Christianity is not this cleverly constructed myth or legend. It's built upon historical eyewitness account from people who were so convinced that Jesus had risen again, that they were willing to die painfully and shamefully for this claim. The risen Jesus had so drastically changed their lives. And maybe the resurrection of Jesus has changed your life as well. For me personally, the resurrection of Jesus has been especially precious in these last few months. In the last 12 months, I have buried four family members. I've stood at the graveside of four people who I knew and loved. And the resurrection of Jesus brought great comfort and great joy, even in the midst of great grief. Because I believe it's not just really, really good news, but it's also really true news. But maybe there's others of you who are joining us today, and and you, like many in our culture, are not so sure. Maybe you would say to me, well, it's it's wonderful that the resurrection gives you comfort, 
but is it real? You see, the idea that someone could rise from the grave, it, it can sound a little bit more to, to us like fable than fact, like fairy tale than reality, because it's not something that naturally or normally happens. I mean, people don't normally get out of the grave. And so the idea that Jesus has been raised from death, it might seem to you to be a little bit unreal, unlikely, and unbelievable. And listen, if there is no God, if we take God out of the equation, it would be. But if there is a God who made everything, if there is a God who gave life to everyone and everything, then surely that same God can give life to the dead. And so whatever you think about the resurrection, whatever your response to the claim of the resurrection, I think there's one thing that we can all agree on, that this is a claim worth investigating, that this claim demands our attention and our consideration, because if it's true, well, it changes everything. It's the claim on which everything else hinges. John Stott said, if you remove it, the resurrection... Christianity is destroyed, which is the same thing the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, if Jesus has not been raised, then our faith is useless, pointless, and worthless. I mean, we might as well just go home and eat chocolate. The resurrection changes everything. And so we're going to look at what happened today on that first Easter Sunday. We're going to turn our attention to Luke's gospel, which is based upon eyewitnesses' accounts, to see what happened on that day. And we're going to see that this passage unfolds in three main scenes. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It's an unusual burial. An unusual burial. Now, we left Jesus a couple of days ago on Good Friday with his lifeless body hanging on the cross. He was crucified as a common criminal. And today we'll pick the story up with his burial. Now the truth is we don't often think about or talk about Jesus' burial, but it's actually a really important part of the larger story. It actually gives us some details that set the scene for what is going to happen a few days later. And these details are somewhat unusual, but they are incredibly important. The first unusual but important detail we see here in Jesus' burial is the fact that Jesus was buried at all. Now, as I've just said, Jesus was crucified as a criminal. And in that day, criminals didn't generally get nice burials. They were usually left for the animals or thrown into a pit. But what we see here is that a man named Joseph enters the scene. Joseph was a religious leader, wealthy, powerful. He was actually part of the group that handed Jesus over to the Romans. But we were told there that he didn't agree with this decision. He was a good and upright man, verse 50. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, verse 51. Which means if he wasn't a believer in Jesus, he was at least open and sympathetic to him. And so he goes to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he asks to be handed, to be given Jesus' body so that he can bury him in his own personal tomb, which is what he does. Now this, I don't think we realize, is an incredibly brave and courageous thing to do for Joseph. I mean, to publicly identify himself with Jesus in this way would have been costly to him, probably personally, definitely professionally. And yet he's willing to pay the price for Jesus. 
And God actually uses Joseph's courageous actions to ensure that Jesus' body was not discarded, but was placed safely and securely in a tomb. And this leads us to the second unusual but important detail in Jesus' burial. And it's the fact that Jesus was buried alone. Now, the burial process in that day was a little bit different to ours. I actually had the chance to go to Jerusalem back in 2010, and I saw a tomb that would have been much like the one Jesus was buried in. You can see a picture there on the screen. It's missing a little bit of the roof there at the front, but you can see the stone there that would have been rolled across the front. Now, this was essentially, these tombs essentially were a man-made cave. And what would happen is the body would be anointed with spices and perfumes, it would be wrapped up in some expensive linen, and then it would be placed on a ledge in the tomb, which I've also got a, a photo of there, and it's not a very good photo because I'm not a very good photographer. But you can see there that the, the ledge where the body would have been placed on. Now, this was actually not the end of the process, because they would come back a few months later when the process of decay was complete, and they would collect the bones, and they would place them in a box called an ossuary. You can see a, the box there actually in the photo. Now, that box would be left in the tomb um, for good. And so, usually, this means that tombs would not just have one person in there. They could have multiple people in there, multiple bodies on different ledges, and multiple boxes left in the tomb. But did you notice that this was not the case for Jesus' tomb? We're told that his tomb was empty. It was one in which no one had yet been laid, verse 53. Now, this is important because it means that there was no chance of mistaken identity. There was no chance of a mix-up. Jesus' body was the only one that was in there. And this leads us to the third and final unusual but important detail in Jesus' burial, and it's the fact that Jesus' body was unprepared. Now, as I already mentioned to you, the body would be prepared with, uh, anointed with spices and perfumes before being placed in the tomb. But Joseph ran out of time to do this for Jesus. The Sabbath day was approaching, the Jewish day of rest. It began at sunset on Friday, and it ended at sunrise on Sunday. And so it's Friday, the sun is setting. Joseph only has enough time to wrap Jesus in some linen and to hurriedly place him in the tomb. But did you notice that Jesus was not alone? There was a group of women that had followed Joseph to the tomb. These women had come down with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. They were present for his crucifixion, and they now follow him to the tomb. And when they see that Jesus' body was unprepared, they decide that they'll go home, they'll observe the Sabbath, but they'll get some spices and some perfumes, and they'll come back on Sunday morning to properly anoint Jesus' body for burial. And this is, again, a small but important detail because Luke wants us to know that these women, when they came back to anoint Jesus' body on Sunday morning, they didn't just rock up to any tomb. They didn't just stumble across an unused tomb and then make up this story about the resurrection. They knew where Jesus' tomb was. They'd been there. They'd seen it. They knew where they were going. And so these unusual but important details, they tell us that Jesus was buried, placed in a tomb, that Jesus was buried alone, and that the women who discovered the empty tomb, they knew where they were going. And this leads us to the second scene in our passage, which is an amazing discovery. Now, it's always a bit of a shock, isn't it, when you come across something that is open, 
which you know should be closed. We came home from church a few weeks ago and our front door was wide open. Now I've got to admit, it gave me a bit of a shock. I think I said something that a pastor shouldn't say. And so I quickly went inside to see if there was you know, someone still there or if anything was missing. But it was all good in the end. And it turns out in our hurry to get three small children in the car and get, it, get to church on time, we just forgot to go back and lock the front door. Now, I can't imagine the shock that these women must have had when they showed up to Jesus' tomb on that Sunday morning and they saw that it was wide open. Maybe they said something they shouldn't have said. Don't know. But what we do know is that their shock must have been even greater when they looked inside and they saw that the tomb was empty, that Jesus' body was gone. Now, this is obviously not what they were expecting. They brought spices and perfumes with them. Why? To anoint Jesus' dead body. They were expecting a corpse, not an empty cave. And, you know, over the years, there's been lots of theories as to trying to explain why the tomb was empty and and where Jesus' body has gone. Some people have suggested that, that perhaps someone moved it, maybe grave robbers. But why would grave robbers leave the linen behind? You know, the linen around Jesus' body, which was left behind, which was expensive and light. And why would they take Jesus' body, which was heavy and worthless? Others have suggested maybe Jesus' enemies moved the body. They took it. But if that's the case, when people started talking about Jesus being raised, all they had to do was produce the body, put it on display, and they could put an end to the Jesus movement once and for all. They didn't do it. Others have suggested maybe Jesus' followers and friends uh, took the body to fake a resurrection and to start a new movement. Maybe they dreamed about being rich and powerful and popular. The problem is they became poor and despised and ultimately were killed. And so if you faked it, surely when they started to torture you and put you to death, you'd say, yeah, 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 we made it up. But they didn't. They never recanted for their faith in Jesus. And so this strange scene that confronts the women on that Sunday morning is they saw on Friday Jesus' dead body was placed in the tomb. They saw it with their own eyes. And then they come back on Sunday morning, the tomb is empty and Jesus' body is gone. And while they're wondering about this, we read that two men appeared beside them. And it's obvious that these weren't ordinary men because their clothes, we're told, gleamed like lightning. They were angels, messengers from God. Now, the important point is not the the, the fact that there were angels there. The important point is their message. They have a wonderful message for these fearful women in verses 5 and 6. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Apparently, these women shouldn't have been so shocked. Jesus had already told them that this would happen, that he would be betrayed, crucified, and then on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, be raised again. And so when the angels remind the women of this, the penny drops, the pieces fall into place. We read verse 8, then they remembered his words. Now this is one of the greatest moments in human history. Not just for these women, but for you and I as well. 
This is the beginning of God's new world. I love the way a writer named Glenn Scrivener puts it. He says, life leads to death. That's the trajectory of this world. But Jesus came to turn the world right side up. On that first Easter Sunday, the women came to the tomb expecting to pay their last respects to a departed friend. They came to mark an ending. Instead, they were witnesses to the one great beginning. The resurrection is the beginning of God's new world. And it changes everything for you and I. It means the way to God is open, not closed. It means Jesus is not a historical figure. He is a living saviour. It means the grave is not the end of the line, it's just the beginning. And it means your future is not dark and uncertain, but bright and assured. The resurrection changes everything because it assures us that if our faith is in Jesus, we too will be raised with him. I mean, this is the ultimate news. This is the best news possible in a world that is dying and broken. It's a promise of new life and life forever. And this is news that demands to be shared, which is what the women do next and leads us to our third and final scene, which is an array of responses. There are three different responses to the resurrection of Jesus in these final few verses in our passage. And the first is the women. Their response is to believe and to share. Look at verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, that's the disciples, and to all the others. Now, these women must have been frightened, they must have been confused, they definitely didn't understand all that had happened. But there is one thing that they could do. They could share what they knew. They could tell the disciples that the tomb was empty, and they could share with them what the angel had told them, that Jesus had risen. And if you are a believer in Jesus, this is the response that God is calling you to do as well. You might be frightened, you might be confused, you might not understand everything, but you can share what you know. You can share the hope that you have in Jesus. You can share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. This is the first response to the resurrection of the women, to believe and to share. Secondly, we see the response of the disciples, or at least their initial response, which is to not believe and to do nothing. See, the women come back, they tell the disciples what they've seen and heard. Now, how are the disciples going to respond? Jump up and down, get excited. That's right, he told us that this was going to happen. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, why do the disciples respond like this? Why do they write the women's story off as nonsense? Well, firstly, because despite all Jesus had said to them, the disciples we're not expecting a resurrection. You know, we sometimes think that people back in that day, they're a bit simplistic, they're a bit naive, they're a bit gullible. They're more likely to believe something like a resurrection. But they knew, just as well as we do, probably better than we do, that dead people generally stay dead. So the disciples are not expecting a resurrection. They need to be convinced that Jesus is alive. They need to see him for themselves, which the story goes on to tell us that's exactly what happened. Jesus appeared to them and to many others. But there's another reason that they kind of write the women's story off as nonsense. The unfortunate fact is that in that day, the testimony of women was not considered credible. 
According to Jewish law, a woman's testimony was invalid. Josephus, a Jewish historian, let me just read to you what he wrote. He, he wrote around this period, and I'm quoting him. He says, But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Now, this was the mindset in that era. And this is why it is so utterly astonishing that the four Gospels, all of them, they record women as the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. If you were trying to make up a story that you wanted people to believe in that day, you would not have women as your star eyewitnesses. Unless that's just exactly the way that it happened. Which is the claim of the Bible and which is why the disciples write it off initially as nonsense. Now, of course, we know that later on, after they had encountered the risen Jesus, the disciples would change their mind. And I just pictured the women kind of standing off to the side going, we told you so. But their initial response is like so many people today, to dismiss the resurrection as nonsense and to do nothing. Now, I wonder if this might be your response. Maybe you've heard the Easter story many times before, but you've never really done anything about it. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, it's okay for church people, it's okay for religious people, but it really has nothing to do with me. Or I've tried it before, but, but I've moved on. If that's your response, then you are missing out on the most wonderful news and the most wonderful gift in all the world. That Jesus is risen. And if your faith is in him, you too will one day be raised with him. And so just let me plead with you this morning, don't do nothing. Because of what Jesus has done for us, the news is far too great and the future is far too bright to do nothing. And this leads us to the third and final response. The women believe and share, the disciples don't believe and do nothing. And the third response we see is that of Peter. And his response is to check it out for himself. Look at what we read, verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. If you're not sure what to make of Jesus' resurrection, if you're not sure what to do with it, you can do what Peter did. You can check it out for yourself. Peter ran to the tomb, he examined the evidence, he looked at the stone rolled away, he looked at the strips of linen, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And he didn't have to wonder too long because the Bible tells us that soon after this, Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the other disciples. And so Peter went looking for Jesus and he found him, not among the dead, but among the living. Now you might think, well, that's all good and well for Peter. You know, he could go to the tomb, he could check it out, but I can't do that. Now you're right, but you can do what Frank Morrison did. You know, Frank Morrison was a British journalist. He lived in the early 1900s. He was not a Christian. In fact, he was very skeptical about Jesus, especially his resurrection. And, and he set out one day to actually prove that the resurrection was not true. He, he thought it was a legend or a myth, and he wanted to show others that this was the case. He used his research skills as a journalist, and, and he started to dig into history. He was planning to write a book proving that Jesus' resurrection never happened. But through his investigation, as he examined, as he investigated, as he checked it all out for himself, the same thing that happened to Peter happened to him. 
he encountered the risen Christ and he put his faith in him. Because he found Jesus not among the dead, but among the living. And he actually ended up writing a classic book in defense of the resurrection called Who Moved the Stone? So what is your response today? That's the most important question. It might be that of the disciples. To not believe and to do nothing. Now, if that's the case, you're missing out on a very great offer and the very best person in the whole world, Jesus Christ. It might be the response of Peter. And maybe you're not sure, but, but you want to check it out for yourself. And if that's you, that's wonderful. Maybe you want to start by reading Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. Or maybe you want to read Luke's Gospel, which is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Maybe you can read that together with a Christian friend. I would invite you to come to church where we'll talk more about who Jesus is and what he's done. Or, or come to Alpha where you can ask questions and explore the claims of Jesus. But you can take any of those steps to check it out for yourself. Or maybe your response today will be that of the women. You are ready to believe. Today is the day when you will turn from your sin and you will put your trust in Jesus. The one who came from heaven to earth, lived the life you have not lived, died the death you deserve to die, and then rose again to give you the gift that you cannot earn. Life with God forever. If that's you, I want to lead you in a, in a prayer in just a moment. And you know, it's not the prayer that saves you. Jesus saves you. But the prayer reflects what we read in Romans 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you, if you believe in your heart, and if you want to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then I just invite you to join me in this prayer in just a moment, to pray in your heart as I lead us. And so why don't we all now come into a time of prayer as we respond to the risen Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting me into your family. I know I don't deserve it, but thank you for your son Jesus, who died for all my sins and rose to give me new life. I turn from the emptiness of living for myself and instead come home to your love and leading. May I know you as Father. May I be one with your Son. May, be, may I be filled with your Spirit, now and forever. Amen. you maybe prayed along with that prayer for the first time or, or maybe as a sign of coming back to Jesus then I would just encourage you to reach out to someone, to a friend who you know is a Christian reach out to us we would love to help you in this journey of following the risen Jesus the one who brings us home to God and would you stand now for this 
blessing from God's word based on Hebrews chapter 13 before we sing together to celebrate that Jesus is risen. And now, may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with all you need for doing his will now and forever. Amen.